Hello everyone, this is Edo Ninja and you are now listening to the Storm Connect podcast, published by the Sigil Arts Network. I talk about gaming topics and animated series of my own interest like Ruby, Final Fantasy, Persona 5 Royal, and so on forward. The goal I aim to accomplish on every episode is to provide insights on these subjects that are usually overlooked, to spread awareness, and learn more. I must say, it's actually been a hot minute since we've actually talked about Ruby here in this podcast, but since we are approaching the season where the new volume is about to premiere, it's finally time where we get right back down to business. Rooster Teeth's Ruby is a 3D animated web show consisting of four anime girls, Ruby, Weiss, Blake, and Yang, and a few other traveler friends trained to become huntsmen and huntresses. However, they are now faced with a greater responsibility, which is putting their lives on the line to fight off against the creatures of Grimm and a foe that will be spoken of later in this episode. So if you have not watched Ruby or have not caught up to Volume 7, I highly suggest you stop listening to this podcast episode and go binge the show on YouTube or on Rooster Teeth's website so you can return here for the full fleshed out episode. So before we start out this actual podcast episode, I want to take a moment to actually properly address this. I, Edo Ninja, host of the Storm Connect podcast and partner of the Sigil Arts, hereby firmly stand by the Black Lives Matter movement. This year has been... There are many words to describe this year, but there's been a huge amount of... Abnormal amount of surges of injustices, and as much as we can only say we hope for this to end, this is... This will not end until we actually continuously push for this change to happen and the perfect developing story that I need to address here. Yesterday was truly revolting. So if you're not aware, uh, the case of Breonna Taylor, Metro Police Officers Jonathan Mattingly, Brett Hankinson, and Miles Cosgrove, they fatally shot Breonna Taylor on March 13th of this year. Brett Hankinson was only dismissed from the force for showing an extreme indifference to the value of human life? Um, <laughs> and, oh man, no, we got more of what goes on with this case, though, but just, this is just a little bit of a recap, uh, further for all this, um, Jonathan Mattingly is insisting that they did the right thing and believes that they did absolutely nothing wrong on a no-knock search warrant. So, Brianna's boyfriend um, shot Jonathan once in the leg in response to breaking into the home, especially for the no-knock search warrant. They just kind of just, you know, went in. It's kind of self-explanatory at that point. Um, So, due to this complicated issues, officials have banned the use of no-knock search warrants. So, to sum this part up, they agreed to have settled... Um, they agreed to have the case settled for a wrongful death, and now to elaborate to the now updated story, the officers involved with Breonna Taylor's final moments were not charged at all for her death. That's it. At most, only one officer is being charged for wanton endangerment. Which is... I, I can't even fathom. It's... Obviously, just saying this aloud is just so stupid. So, uh, apparently, where the gun bullets to the neighbors are more important rather than fatally shooting someone that was that did nothing wrong. That was not even awake. Or just there, you know? Like, why? And to say that you did the right thing? 
Oh, wow. Wow. And, you know, the the response from the prosecution team, right? They basically said that as much as this was a, an emotionally driven case or whatever, they have to, like, put that aside to get to the truth of this case and such. And it's, it's a t- total bunch of bullshit. The fact that they are not going to charge the officers for wrongfully shooting Breonna Taylor to her death. Get out of here, man. This is still beyond me of how we are here in the first place. The fact that this is has this has to be a conversation is just so sad and just shows of how horrible that we can be as humans, you know? Like I said, the concern of endangering the neighbors over the na- actual victim here is more important. Okay. <laughs> okay. So please, I say this. Please help just to do your part, you know, like especially now, especially just by visiting www.blacklivesmatter.com and you can search ways to end this division and the unfairness that we have in our system here. We cannot have those that have actually died in vain. It's our duty to uphold that and to see it through to the end. Now, that being said, let's proceed forward to the actual podcast episode. So, it is with utmost pleasure, as I briefly kind of mentioned this earlier in the beginning of the podcast, I'm happy to say that Ruby Volume 8 is indeed happening this year, and I must say major props for Team Kruby for making this happen despite with our current circumstances. I suppose you could say this is somewhat of a part two of going over of what to look forward to. Uh, However, the difference here is that we have background information on this upcoming volume. And I believe it's important that we actually go over this so we kind of have some idea on what to expect and so on forward for the future of Ruby and so on forward. So before Volume 7 ended or around the time before the pandemic was taken to a full effect to where everybody was quarantined and such, um, Ruby Volume 8 and 9, they pretty much got the green light to pretty much go into full production that it is confirmed to actually come out. Um, for Ruby in general. So, uh, Ruby Volume 8, uh, it was actually being written nearly at the same time as they were writing Volume 9, which is unprecedented for Team Kruby. So, I'm not sure if this is a way to get pretty much ahead of the game as to know of what they're doing for the story. I'm not exactly so sure. However, I would hope that it is a good thing. Personally, I would think that after watching Ruby Volume 8, we'll have a better idea as to how the pacing or like the general information for Volume 9 could go. We're not exactly too sure, but I guess we could just put in all of our faith into Team Kruby and everybody that's worked on the show and hope for the best for Volume 8 and 9. My thing is, is the fact that uh, Ruby... I I hate to say this though, but Ruby has certain inconsistencies that they suffer a lot from, and I'm hoping that they do not exploit the hell out of it when they produce out Volume Eight and Nine. So this might be a little bit of a stretch um, for the next thing that I'm going to mention, but that's it may not be. That really depends on how this is going to play out when the game is released. So. Rooster Teeth has recently partnered up with WayForward and uh, Arc System Works once again for a brand new Ruby game. 
Uh, WayForward, they're mostly known for their Shantae um, video games. So, the reason why I'm mentioning this right now is because when they had their Ruby panel last week for RTX at home, uh, they mentioned something very intriguing. Uh, I don't know how much you really want to look into this or not, but they said that the game's story is going to take place during Volume 7, which I find that very odd in a certain way, especially for a dedicated game like that. But depending on how this goes, it may actually be a good thing, it may not actually be a bad thing, but as to how relevant it is to the main story, we'll have to find out when the game is released. Uh, but they did not elaborate anything further beyond that, but they said that they only expect to have this game out soon by 2021, but news for it will come out sometime later as to this year or maybe early next year. We'll find out in the media in time. So now going back into the inner circle of Ruby Volume 8. So here's one thing that they did confirm, which this was way while back. Uh, they mentioned that Ruby Volume 8 takes place over the course of two days in Atlas. So this is very believable, especially for Salem arriving to Atlas at the end of Volume 7. It's only safe to assume that it's pretty much going to be an all-out war within those two days of Atlas. So I really don't mind this. I'm just really curious as to how those two days are going to go down. So, And that kind of just sounds frightening. The fact that it's in 48 hours of battle against Salem's forces and herself. And also, half of Ruby Volume 6 was pretty much in the course of a couple days as well. And their pacing was just fine. It was actually great. So since it's only going to be two for the entire volume... We're just going to have to see how this one plays out, though. But I just hope that they move along to the steady pace and nobody has time to sit around and do nothing. It's not going to be like Ruby Volume 4 or 5, where pretty much nothing happens up until the end of the volume. And speaking of pretty much the entire full volume, they did confirm that this time Ruby Volume 8 will have 14 chapters this time. So, here's my thing with that. Uh, due to this pandemic or whatever circumstances it may be, uh, I am a little bit skeptical about this is because that I don't think their episodes are going to be that lengthy. Um, at most, it probably will have the same length as to Volume 5. That's just to my basis and assumption as to how we've gone over to how they do their inconsistency with the episode durations. But I am hoping that this volume will be pretty lengthy, if not longer than as to how they've done in the previous pass. Uh, I'm not exactly too sure if that's possible, but who knows. As long as they do not have that one chapter that's like under 11 minutes, then I'd hope that they have at least a good layout plan for the 14 chapters. And if there is, there better be a goddamn good explanation as to why that's under 11 minutes or so. But anywho... That's like all of the small background information of Ruby Volume 8 that we know, except for the fact that it is actually going to premiere on November 7th, 2020. So as usual, it's going to premiere on a Saturday, and pretty much by the time that we wake up, it'll be up already. So in terms of how they're doing their uh, promotions for this, well, usually every year they release some type of illustration poster for everyone to buy. 
So in terms of how they're doing their marketing for uh, Ruby Volume 8 in terms of their uh, aesthetics and such, uh, usually every year, like, whenever, like, they are about to premiere a new volume, they have, like, an actual, like, dedicated type of illustration to go with the cover uh, that you would see everywhere into the media. However, for this, they did things differently. Another thing that I want to bring up is the fact that they usually do illustration artworks for every volume that's about to premiere. Uh, and it's usually, like, the cover art to show off, like, the theme of it, right? Uh, they did not do that for Volume 7. They pretty much just showcased the new, uh, marketing poses, outfits for, for Ruby, Weiss, Blake, and Yang. And then they just had Atlas in the background. So, pretty much, it was just kind of a slap-on type thing that they did and then with the background and then adding the text and call it a day. Which, you know, Volume 7's poster art, it's not bad. It's alright. It's pretty decent, so... But for Volume 8, they did release that, and it pains me to say this, but oh my god. I think this is, like, the most least effort poster art covers I've ever seen in any of the volumes that I've seen of Ruby. So, pretty much, like, they kind of still did the same thing. Like, they posted the characters, and then they slapped it onto the background, but just everything about it, it just seems to have clashed. A lot. I'll have the link to the uh, cover art itself so you can see what I mean. But it's just the fact that, like, like okay, the character arts, like, they don't look as bad. I might have, like, a couple gripes with a couple of them, though. But the poses and the idea of it, it looks great. Don't get me wrong on that. However, how they did their positioning and their sizes of this and how they structured this, it's just so... Like I said, it's, like, really, really off and not well put together. And unfortunately, it doesn't give me that incentive as to why I should be hyped about this volume. So things like this, I believe it's very important, you know? I'm not so sure if it's because of it's a budgeting issue or pretty much they were on a time constraint, especially with the uh, current circumstances. Or another thing that I just hadn't thought in mind was the fact that because that they usually sell their poster art covers, uh, I don't know if it actually sells or not, but it just seems that it might not do well. So it's like, what's the point of actually putting effort into these poster arts if people are not exactly buying them? Which, I, I don't know. Again, I can't really tell off of the statistics because, like, they don't have, like, the actual available information for us, though. But it's like, to at least watch the volume, that's something that you want to have someone to, like, make the appeal to. It's just like, oh, well, like, what's the feel for this volume as to why I should be hyped up for this, you know? Say whatever you will about the Mistral arc, but their poster arts from Volume 4 to 6 were very good, and I don't know why they just dropped the ball when now here into the Atlas arc. I don't know, it just really disappoints me to see that they're not really putting that much effort into that type of marketing aspect, because again, like I said, this is very important, you know? A lot of people are just like, oh, well, we're just only in here for the volume. Yes, that's true, though, but to, like, to actually roll people in to see like what's going on and such, I think this is important, you know? If you personally like it, that's fine, like, more power to you. I just think that, like, it's fine that they have, like, you know, their marketing uh, actual character arts into a poster and such. I just think that it could be incorporated much better, like how they did in the previous uh, volume, uh, for Volume 7, though. Uh, but if they have more of the budget, I just wish they would actually invest into, like, a full-on art illustration with, like, a whole thing. But again, we don't know the circumstances to that, though. But I, it's just, like I said, it's really disappointing that, in this case, it's not exactly good, in my own personal opinion. We usually, every year, get super hyped up about the new artworks for the Ruby characters and such, especially from starting from Volume 4. So, um, 
it's just unfortunate as to how things are now. But again, I'm hoping that maybe it will pick up back one day. But like I said, I'm just not exactly a huge fan as to how things were executed this time. Now to the big thing that we're all like pretty much hyped up for is the trailer that they dropped at the panel. So, <laughs> the first thing that I want to mention, uh, I believe I mentioned this in my previous uh, Ruby podcast episode, but if I did not, I just want to say that I called it that she actually brought her house on that giant whale grim. She actually brought her house because she literally said that she was going to sit on fucking Atlas. I, I told you. I literally said that. Like, I don't know why she has her own dedicated throne. Unless that she just leaves Atlas out of nowhere. But why would she do that when she's trying to get the other relics? So it's just like, no. I knew she really said that when she gets the relic and stuff, that that's going to be her new territory. She's dominating the entire goddamn continent. I knew that was going to happen. This woman over there really just had to, like, dress all fancy and be all nice. Like, got her new Victoria's Secrets, like, you know, her new dress and shit. And just had to show off. She had to be so extra and show off of how she's going to take over the goddamn world, starting with Atlas. The perfect target. Wow. But that's not enough for her. No, she just had to bring her entire house and said, oh, yeah, what what's that about, like, you know... Buying property? Oh no, I'm taking it anyways. It's mine since I've been here longer than you have. Like, <laughs> I fucking hate this bitch. I'm so tired of her. So another thing that I've noticed in this trailer is the fact that, like I said, like Salem is not doing any of the attacking. It's just mostly the Grim. But even then, it doesn't look like there's a lot of Grim as how we've seen from the previous um, volume. Well, basically the season finale. Um... The first other teasers that they revealed off to this, like, it just looks like that Atlas was just gone. And for some reason, the Huntsman and Huntresses decided to stay in Mantle. Like, obviously, like, right now, they're having their distrust with Atlas. But, like, in the trailer, it looks like they meet up with Ironwood again some way, shape, or form. Especially the fact that it seems that he talks to the team again about, like, the concern over Mantle. So, usually from what I've noticed, uh, based on their previous, uh, trailers, uh, before a volume is about to be premiered, they usually, like, give the snippets of episodes one, mostly of one, and usually they go up to their max number of, like, around to four or to chapter five of the volume. So, the good thing is the fact that, like, even though, like, that's all that they're showing, it doesn't spoil too much as to exactly of what's happening. Because anything could happen. Like, I still don't know of how, like, where dire what direction they're going to go to in this volume. All we know is that Salem is here. And in the trailer, she showed that she got the relic. And she's interested in something, which I'm going to bring up this point a little bit later. And But as to the current locations of everybody, we are not exactly so sure of that. So the team is divided off to two groups. There is group one, which is Yang, Ren, Jean, and Oscar. And group two is consisting of Blake, Nora, Weiss, Penny, and Ruby. Group one is mostly working on the shit fest that's happening in Mantle, while group two is on top of fucking Atlas and getting the situation sorted out with Ironwood and whoever else they need to sort out shit with. Speaking of, we actually do see Ironwood and the Aesops, and it looks like from this mo moment on, they actually learn about the, well, the unfortunate fallen of their team leader, um, Clover, and I guess they're still keeping up with the mission and such. We're gonna see how their characters develop from here on out.
I thought their roles would be over after that fight, honestly, but it looks like they have much more to achieve for Volume 8. So in the scenes here, it's really very interesting the fact that we actually see Ironwood and the Aesops in, from what it looks like, the medic room. I thought the characters would have no time to waste, especially for what's happening now that Salem has just arrived. Again, we don't know the context as to everything that's happening, though, but, like, just seeing that, it's like, wow, you guys are sitting around while you guys have a war that's about to happen in your goddamn kingdom? Crazy. So another interesting fact that I want to mention, uh, back in Ruby Volume uh, 7, when Ironwood fought uh, Dr. Watts, he... He didn't technically lose his left arm, but, like, it almost could have burned off or be cut off in a way. And um, how the volume ended, he pretty much had his uh, arm, his left arm in a cast. Now it looks like he actually replaced it. For what it looks like, it seems that he added another cyborg uh, type of mechanic arm to his body. So... Oh my, I am really interested of how the Tin Man is going to uh, play out into Volume 8. And uh, yeah, that's like about it. We did not see Maria Calavera. We did not see um, Penny's dad. We did not see Robin Hill or Crow. Uh, yeah, I'm not even sure as to what's happening here, which again, this is really good that they're not showing too much. Hell, we didn't even see Neo there, which I'm really curious as to what's going to be her objective. Obviously, it's to kill Ruby now that the Relic of Knowledge has been delivered to Salem. So since the trailer pretty much confirmed for us that Salem now has the Relic of Knowledge, now Neo, she's going to do what she always wanted to since pretty much Volume 6. So I'm really curious at how this is going to turn out. Is she's actually going to kill Ruby or is she going to go after Cinder's throw just because she just can't stand her bitch ass? I'm so excited for this shit. Neo has kind of been one of those characters where it's just like, you know, she's like hardly around though. But whenever you see her, she's kind of like pleasant to see it. You know, she's actually kind of cool, but she might have some type of character development or she'll have probably much more of a character flesh out, which I'm hoping it's for the character flesh out. I really want to see this. So, based on to what's happening here, I think the characters that are going to shine in this volume is Cinder, Neo, and Penny. Maybe Ironwood, but, like, I don't see him, like, shining out as much as the characters that I'm, like, pretty much anticipating. Uh, Winter, not so much. Um, Rooster Teeth did mention that, uh, the character Ruby, Rose, uh, she's more of, like, you know, acting like an actual main protagonist of the show. So, I'm not gonna have... Too much high hopes for Ruby, but I mean, they're hyping her up again for Volume 8, so I'm really curious as how she is going to play out, especially the fact that she was part of the dialogue, or not dialogue, the monologue for um, the trailer that was presented to us. But other than that, uh, I'm going to keep my expectations low for her, but those are my top three characters that I'm like hoping that they do really well with this time. And finally, as to how they ended off the trailer, we see Salem saying that she has questions for Jin. Although we don't actually see Jin or the Relic of Knowledge actually activated. So, uh, from what the end of the scene insinuated is that she's asking as to how does this work. Like, she needs somebody to have the Relic of Knowledge be activated for her. And it looks like the Grim is sniffing the Relic of Knowledge. So, um, I'm seeing a lot of death flags for uh, little boy, uh, farm boy Oscar Pines over there. 
If not, it's either between Oscar or Ruby because those are the only two people that were actually holding the relic. So, who do you think is going to get captured? Because if you want my honest opinion, I think it should be Oscar. Ruby Rose may have had a little bit of a clapback uh, moment in Volume 7 with Salem, but I think Oscar Pines should be introduced to Salem directly. Because it's like, it's just so funny of like how, like for some reason now, like every volume, like for some reason, Oscar just disappears off the fucking face of the planet and he doesn't show up until like an episode or two or maybe even three chapters later. So I think for the one time that he actually does disappear, it's much more like an actual dangerous feeling compared to how he basically had his fight with Neo. You know, now saying this aloud, I think this might be a foreshadowing the fact that like every time that Oscar disappears, we all have like some sort of type of panic for him. So I think that there actually might be some type of panic as to like he could actually potentially die this time because god damn, I don't know why Rooster Teeth just loves to tease about his death so much. Well, if it happens, I suppose. Now, if Ruby Rose is the one that gets kidnapped and actually meets Salem some way, shape, or form, I am just hoping to God that they do this right. Because I don't give a fuck if she's the main protagonist or not, or if she starts acting like one. What I would hope that she would do is to be like, you talked about my mother. You know my mom. What did you do to her? I'm hoping that she actually asks these type of questions now that we know that Salem had something to do with it. I'm not exactly sure if that will happen in Volume 8, though, but if somebody were to get captured from whoever knows how the relic works, well, like I said, they better play it off right with Ruby. But if not, then again, I am pretty much casting my vote for Oscar to get kidnapped, because I know they'll do that one well, at least. I unfortunately do not have that much confidence as to how they'll do the greeting between Salem and Ruby well. So uh, I'm going to post this uh, poll on Twitter. So if you have a Twitter account, uh, I'm going to post this up when this uh, episode is up as well. Uh, as to who you think is going to get kidnapped and greet Salem, Oscar or Ruby. And you should tell me why into the replies below. I'm actually quite curious to hear everyone's thoughts about that. And yeah, that's like pretty much of everything as to like the background information that we have of Volume 8. Um... We do have some additional information of, like, Ruby overall in general. Um, one thing that they had was a little bit of a QA, and a and they have some... They have answered something that was canon to the lore, which is uh, questions about Watts and Ironwood. Well, one question, that is, which is basically their semblances. So, uh, this is exactly a fun fact for all, which I don't know if that's something to be pleased with or not, so take this as you will. Um, so Dr. Watts, he does not have a semblance. He just happens to be super intelligent, have at least some type of basic fighting skill to where it's just like he knows how to defend himself, but he's not much of a fighter himself and he doesn't have a semblance. But, you know, obviously he has his aura. But, you know, again, very talented, a genius, and also a doctor. So I gotta give Watts that. Like, he's a first character that is a really interesting character that doesn't have a semblance. But, hey, he is involved with Salem, and I I'm kind of hoping we get to learn a little bit more about him, especially the fact that they let him live for whatever reason. I'm not exactly sure as to why, but if he has more to achieve, then I hope they do this well. If not, then he should have died last volume. No cap. So, uh, leaving that as it may be, like I said, he has no semblance. He only has basic defense skills and wields a gun. 
<laughs> um, so Ironwood, they did confirm that he does have a semblance and it was actually used in some places, snippets here and there within the previous volumes. However, unless Team Kruby was lying, which I could see them doing, this has got to be one of the most irrelevant and useless semblances I've ever heard in this show. Like, don't get me wrong, like, it makes sense, but, like, why is that his semblance when almost anybody could do that or train themselves to do that, you know? It just doesn't make sense to me. So, they didn't give a name with this semblance, but basically of how it functions, it's pretty much, like, I guess you could say it's some way for him to focus like, okay, so pretty much they compared it into a way of, like, you know, using his name, like, Iron, haha, very funny. But, um, so the Tin Man himself, uh, whatever, like, he is set in mind for a goal or a mission and such, he uses his semblance to ensure that whatever else that is, like, you know, having him boost up with anxiety and stuff like that, he does not get distracted in some way, shape, or form. And all that matters is to complete that task or to see over basically see to the end of the goal or mission that he has in mind. That's pretty much as to exactly how it works. And that's like the best way of how I could describe this. It was a weird way of how they elaborated on this though. But it's just like, so basically it's just a stupid focus skill. Ah, uh, I mean, okay, but like why should that be part of his semblance where his aura is used? That's kind of stupid to me, you know? I would have to go back to the volumes because I'm actually curious as to how it was used. Maybe in volume 7, there are snippets that I could probably see that. But all the way back to volume 2? Whew, my, I got some research to do after this podcast. It is up to all of you as to what your thoughts on with uh, Watts is basically his a little bit background information and Ironwood's huh, wonderful semblance. So, like, that's pretty much for, like, all the background information of, like, this volume and such. Um, there is one more thing that I kind of want to mention. It still has a little bit, some type of involvement with Ruby. In a way, it may be a little bit of a stretch, but, like, if you care that much as to what goes around with, uh, Rooster Teeth and such, uh, I want to mention, uh, one of the, like, co-writers of Ruby, uh, Miles Luna. Uh, surprisingly, he actually left Rooster Teeth, like, way back in March, and this was done way quietly. Um, however, like, he is still a head member of Team Kirby. He's just only, like, signed up as a contractor, uh, since obviously, like, you know, they still work to agree to working with him, and he still voices John Ark. So, in a way, this changes exactly nothing for Ruby. It's just, again, he's just no longer directly employed with Rooster Teeth, just only as a freelancer, essentially. Um, he, he was hardly in any other projects except for Ruby anyway, so it's not much of a big impact to begin with, but, I mean, it's still fine. But, uh, I thought I should give you guys a little bit of the update if you're not aware about that. Yeah, no, he actually left way back, pretty much when this pandemic has started. So, uh, yeah, we didn't, like, see him in any other, like, Rooster Teeth projects anyways, just mostly... All of his time was invested into Ruby and whatever else that he does uh, that's outside of Rooster Teeth. So I thought that was really interesting to find out. So even with the pandemic, Ruby seems to be doing just okay. Maybe not at their peak as they, what they were hoping for for this year, especially again with what's happening with our world right now. But I mean, again, Volume 8 is still going to premiere uh, this year. 
Uh, looks like everything is almost done and finished up. They were able to do everything remotely, which is good. So, again, huge props to the animators, the voice actors, everyone that's working on Ruby and such. Big, big shout out to them. And I hope that things are, uh, the work process will get easier in time later. But I'm just super impressed that they were able to do all of this in time as the pandemic goes on. They have also premiered their new Ruby show, uh, pretty much the Dungeons and Dragons, uh, esque version of Ruby. So they finally premiered that. They only had like a couple episodes in. I still have yet to watch that. So I'm curious as to how this exactly works. I'm not exactly a Dungeons, uh, and Dragons type of guy, but, uh, hey, this might be my way to get into it. Maybe. I don't know. I'm just only interested in it because of Ruby. So I'm going to see how that plays out. They also released their uh, book uh, featuring Team Coffee and Team Sun. And it's known as Ruby Before the Dawn. It's book two. And they're all the way up into Vacuo right now. So best of luck to them. They also did mention that they were going to have a fairy tale dedicated show of Ruby. And also an art show of uh, Ruby as well. Basically showing like the behind the scenes work with basically of like where they got their inspirations from and such. Like there was going to be like an actual like dedicated thing for it however they did release their fairy tales book of ruby within that book uh but again they were supposed to be like a 2d somewhat animated with ty telling the story uh basically his bedtime story with ty uh ruby and yang when they were kids basically so ruby fairy tales book out the show of it no and there has been no information about that nor the art show that they spoke of like way early on this year uh, and that's probably because as to the circumstances that we are right now. So hopefully we do see that again in the future. But if not, then I'm not exactly too sure. And Ruby Chibi has been extremely quiet. And that's probably because that, like, you know, the director of it left. So I'm not exactly sure if they're going to pick up on it again. Or if they're just dropping it over on, just replacing it with the new shows that they're going to uh, premiere out in the projects that they have revolving around with Ruby. Since now it looks like they're investing more and more into Ruby for Rooster Teeth. All I'm going to say is that they never confirmed or denied if the show is actually canceled or not. It's just been on strong, long hiatus. So if it eventually does get canceled or if they just quietly cancel it, well... <laughs> You would know why from now on at this point. So less than 50 days, Ruby Volume 8 will premiere. And guess what? They're almost wrapping up the writing for Volume 9 of Ruby already. So I must say, like, for them getting ahead of the game and such, it's good. But again, we'll find out as to how things are going to play out. That's all for the background information of Ruby in general overall. So I must ask you, what are you anticipating for Volume 8 and to the future of Ruby in general overall? And I'll mention this one more time. Again, if you could answer that poll, because I'm very curious as to what everyone's thinking on that poll. It, that would be nice. <laughs> and also, that being said, that's all for actually for the podcast episode itself alone. So, if you're listening to this show on Apple Podcasts, be sure to leave out a five-star rating if you enjoyed this episode. Hit up the Storm Connect Twitter at StormConnectEN or other platforms this podcast is on for feedback for the show. And lastly, we have merchandise available sponsored by the King Styles Apparel. So be sure to check out the stylish t-shirts, hoodies, and more. I was able to come up with uh, Schmurp, my collaborator for the merchandise project. So I hope that you all uh, enjoy it and take a look and, you know, check it out. And maybe cop a shirt or a hoodie here and there. <laughs> this is Edo Ninja. Thank you for your time for listening to this podcast episode. Stay safe, healthy, and smart. I'll see you guys next time. See ya.